Salutations. My name is Justin Lore. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to episode 107. 107. Not 007, 107 of Horror Business. Horror Business. And unfortunately, this is not it. We had originally planned to do this episode in person because I had a cross country, transcontinental road trip planned. And we're going to do a surprise thing like, hey, we're recording in person. Yay. Back on our bullshit. But, you know, shit fell through. I didn't things, get to drive across the country. Things happen. Yeah. Thanks, Alamo. I'm fucking glad you got wiped out in the fucking battle by the Mexican army back in the 1800s. Fuck. I fucking hope that Davy Crockett died pissing in his bed and sick. Fuck Davy Crockett. And fuck Jim Bowie. I'm okay with all of that. Yeah. There are pieces of shit. Well, I don't know. I, for, no, no, you know, you know what? Davy Crockett had a cool hat, at least. I I mean, a cool raccoon hat. Aren't you a vegan? Come on, man. Yeah, but I feel like he was, he maybe he bested the raccoon in, like, physical combat. No after way. It Get the him. fuck out I know. Here. Fuck him. He's a colonizer. He's a piece of shit. Fuck all those people. Fuck Texas. Well, no, not fuck Texas. Man, I am on a fucking tizzy right now. Let's pull it back in. We're pulling it back in. Today's episode, <laughs> we are doing two films that are special and violent and artistic and horny. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that one is less horny than it could be in some ways because it's it's. You know, so uh, let's just say we're doing Torso in Pieces, right? Yes. Torso is literally the movie. You know, people talk all the, all the time about how Halloween started the slasher genre. And then someone goes, no, 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 no. Black Christmas started the slasher genre. And of course, no one movie started anything. But if if we're really looking for an er text, you know what I mean? Like if, uh, if we want to say like Halloween is the Ramones – and like fucking uh, Black Sun, uh, Black Christmas rather is uh, is uh, the Dead Boys. Then like Torso is like the MC Five. Like it's not a slasher movie necessarily, but there's a lot of shit that happens in this movie that would be very essential to those movies in the future. So it it kind and of it does, and it does treat women very badly. Yeah, that's true. Much and, like uh, the MC Five did. Oh God damn it! So it kind of sits in the middle. Uh, between these two sort of genres, but Giallo are always very sexy movies. So in a way, this movie is kind of less sexy than some of Sergio Martino's other movies, in my mind. Uh, whereas Pieces is so unnecessarily sexy. It's just all of the nudity is just there for your for you to leer at. It's like no, that, uh, there's very little nudity in the film that's actually justified sort of narratively speaking. It is and 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 so I guess that's horny, but if you take away the nudity, there's not any other really like there's like one 
kind of sexy part where, by the way, we do get to see a dong. So, you know, applaud for that. But yeah, but, but outside of that, well, I'm just saying that's, you know, there's no, 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 I'm, that, I wasn't being that wasn't like, a OK, Liam, that was like a yeah, like the male nudity. Wieners. Well, yeah, yeah fi- fucking finally. But uh, but I will say, like, that's the only real sexy moment. Like the 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 puzzle that inspires the name pieces is not very sexy. And then what happens around that puzzle is definitely not sexy. And then every time we're shown a sexy lady, it gets unsexy very quickly. So yes, <laughs> I'd say uh, the sexiest moment of the movie is really that guy hanging dog. Like, that's really. It. Yeah. Agreed. But before we get to talk about these two uh, possibly sexy films, uh, we want to thank the people that made this podcast episode so clunky possible. And by that, we mean you, of course, our patrons on Patreon. Uh, We do this for free. We do it because inside of us, there's this burning passion that must exit our bodies through verbal speaking. We have to get these opinions. We have to get this fucking, these bullshit hot takes out of our system. Because if we don't, it'll destroy us. We do that for free. But running a podcast network does have its costs. We have to pay fees for the website. We have to, you know, mostly that. It's mostly the fees for the website and other stuff. And that's made possible by Patreons like you. By (laughs) by patrons like you. So if you want to support the arts, if you want to support cinematic nonsense spewed from the mouths of failed academics. If you want to support screenings about bands who were possibly the most dangerous band in the garden state of New Jersey, wink, wink, wink. We'll talk about that in a little bit when we have something head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks and smash that MF and subscribe button. Cause any amount you can give is greatly appreciated. We also want to thank uh, our other Sponsors for this episode. Now, Liam, if I said to you, oh god, if I said to you, um, calm the fuck down, *Malignant* wasn't that bad of a movie. Is a slogan for a T-shirt. Is what I was trying to say. If I want to get a T-shirt that said "Calm the fuck down, Malignant wasn't that bad of a movie," where would you recommend I go to get that T-shirt printed? xlvacx.com your friends over at lehigh valley apparel creations are gonna you know they're gonna help you develop your idea they're gonna help you with the design and they're gonna print it at an incredibly affordable price and they're gonna go out of their way to try to get you the 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 garments that you desire any price corners that can be cut they'll help you cut them like They're like the Expedia where they find the best deal possible. They'll find what's best for you and any, any way they can make it cheaper for you. They will. Because Chris reject is a deeply flawed human being (laughs) who is obsessed with doing a good job at any costs at the expense of his physical and emotional and mental well-being. Chris will do what he can to satisfy his customers. Now I'm not saying be unreasonable. I'm not saying go there and make a bunch of unreasonable demands. I'm just saying that if you do that, Chris will work himself to exhaustion to accommodate you. Don't do it. I'm not saying do it. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm saying that if you do it, you will get an amazing product and you will, you know, drive Chris closer to a, like some sort of mental breakdown. Don't do that though. <laughs> yeah. Just go to X L V A C X.com figure out, you know, what it is you need them to print for you, get something printed. If in the process you drive Chris a little crazy, 
that's all the better for both of us. But, you know, that's not what we need you. What we need no. you to do is get some print. Uh, we also want to thank our sponsors, Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, look, that's your man, Aaron Dahlbeck. You probably know his band, Be Well. They just signed Revelation. The uh, fucking king of record companies, record yeah. labels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Essex is is a, a simple model, which is how do we demystify coffee and get people the freshest, highest quality beans at an affordable price and, you know, help people know how to get quality coffee at home. And uh, th- they really deliver on that. They have some amazing partnerships with bands and charities. They're always doing various uh, 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 specialty coffee roasts. They also have tea and they have merch. It's a pretty great company. Um, hopefully we're going to talk to them some point about doing a horror business tea. I'm pretty stoked about it. But Regardless, head on over to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com on your way out because you're going to go, you're going to order that, if you're smart, that Ethiopia uh, uh, single origin. You're going to get the the whatever the signature blend is right now, probably the good riddance. Uh, and you probably should get the Brazil too while you're there uh, or a tea if you prefer. That's fine as well. On your way out, you're going to want to, in the discount code area, put in C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X to get 10% off your order. That's what you need to do. You need to do it. The more you do it, the better we look. Please do it. Please do it. We're begging. We're literally begging you. <laughs> I'm not too proud to beg. Go there and order their Ethiopian coffee. I like that. You followed my lead on that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I just, I mean, Ethiopia has been on my mind because I just listened to the newest uh, Behind the Bastards about Ethiopia versus same, same. Italy. And it's amazing. I think it, that's actually last week. So the newest one is the Japanese oh, the new, one. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was very, it was very, very good. And uh, I had no idea that uh, Halle Selassie, that was his royal name and that his original name was Rastafari. I had oh, no, yeah. I didn't know that it, are, it was Ross Tafari. Yeah. I had no idea. It's very interesting, yeah. Yeah. So now comes the time in the podcast when, um, I don't know, I wear a ski mask and black gloves and I have a woman locked in a room in a fucking mansion above a village. And while I'm tormenting her, I take a brief break and I lift my ski mask up so it's, you know, I can talk properly. And I, I, I call my friend Liam on the telefono, 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 whatever it is. I'm Italian. I call my friend, <laughs> I call my friend Leo Danello and I say, eh, Leo, what are you doing at the Valzahara recently? Please, please, <laughs> please pretend I didn't just do a horrifying Italian accent. I know. Now we we lost all our uh, Italian listeners. Now they're all so we offended. Did. Uh, well, you made reference to something, right? Yes. Uh, I watched a little movie that I believe you did as well. Yes, called I did. Malignant. Every time I go to say the name, I almost say Maleficent, and I'm like, wait, no, that's the Disney movie. Sorry, my bad. Uh, yeah, I saw Malignant. Uh. I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. Justin, what do you want to say about Malignant? Um, well, let me be clear. I watched this movie in a very fragile emotional state. Um, I watched it in a hotel room in Los Angeles with the curtains drawn. And side note, 
about 45 minutes into the, into the movie, I realized, holy shit, Morris Day and Cameo are playing in L.A. tonight. I could go to that because I'm in L.A. And I you know, ended up not because I just wanted to watch this movie. Um, but I'll be honest, the first like hour, I was kind of like, this is fine. But like, what is the, you know, I'm not really, it's not getting its fucking hooks in me. And then once there's a scene where someone falls through a ceiling once that happens and like shit kicks off, um, I was like hooked. And there's one scene, it's the fucking reveal when we see who the killer is that made me do the Joaquin Phoenix seeing the alien videotape and signs. Like, <laughs> like that fucking shot. I literally went, oh, and I'd like pause the movie and like be like, oh my God, holy shit. Um, the whole movie is utterly fucking ridiculous. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I I see a lot of people saying this is like a bad movie and I could understand how you would think that, but you can't say it's a boring movie and you can't say it doesn't fucking swing for the fences. And Agreed. I will gladly take a movie like this. I will gladly take a, it's just like a fucking basket case ripoff. It's just a fucking dark half ripoff. I will gladly take that over another ball washing episode of the fucking Warrens and their yeah. nonsense. Yeah. I mean, again, I, you know, I like those movies. I like, I largely like James Wan's filmography, but like, I will gladly take a movie that, uh, puts it all out there and fucking goes through the throat and just, just doesn't give a shit any day of the week over another conjuring film. So for me, I'm not a wand person. I think he, there are some things I like uh, that I think are inarguable. Like for me, I think the very first conjuring is just super compelling. Uh, you know, he did fast seven, which is not my favorite or furious. Is it fast seven or furious? Seven? I guess it's furious you're, seven. You're asking the wrong MF. -er. It's not my favorite, but it's within the canon of good ones. You know, they don't fall off again until eight, you know, but that, that run of five, six and seven is, is real strong. Uh, and so like, you know, I appreciate that. Uh, but like, you know, I don't like the insidious films. I don't like the conjuring sequels. Um, and you know, uh, you know, Saw's cool, I guess, but it, it's just, I don't have the, I think that movie meant a lot to a lot of people and I just wasn't one of those people. It just wasn't that for me. You know what I mean? Did, so did you ever, did you, did you see dead silence? No. Uh, oh wait, is that the, that's the, that's the one with the puppet? The, yeah, the, 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 uh, the, yes. the yeah. Yes. I did see that. I, it's, it's, it's not, not something I care about. It kind of reminded me of this at times, like a, a yeah. lot of the, yeah. some, some of the scenes I was like, okay, I could see where he, where I, I could see his, uh, his DNA in that. I think for me, you know, I think he took a swing for the fences with that finale, with that third, let's say third act. And, uh, and I think he hit it. And so yeah. I, I respect that. Do I think it's a amazing, like, I'm not putting it on the shelf next to deep red or something. Like, I think people are acting like, because some of us are amazed that this movie got made like th that. My man, he has all the Hollywood credit in the world. Like he could literally do anything. And a lot of people in that position don't get interesting. They get more boring actually. Yeah. And my man was like, all right, well I got this crazy idea. It is straight up a mashup of the dark half and 
uh, I wouldn't say basket case. I would say brain damage. Uh, it's yeah. a mashup of basket case and brain damage, but it, it but it riffs a lot on certain aesthetics that you might get from Giallo or from some other sort of haunted housey kind of movies. Uh, I'm just going to do this shit. And it lets me direct some more action because, you know, outside of the Furious uh, 7, he doesn't do a lot of like kung fu-y action-y stuff. You know what I mean? So he got to throw that into his uh, weirdo horror movie. Uh, good, good, good for him. That's that's how I felt. Like it finished and I went, go for him. You know, that's some good stuff. If that's what we're going to get, if directors who have all the money in the world and could obviously direct a fucking Marvel movie or a Bond movie or whatever the fuck, uh, if they're going to say, I'm going to take this here internet streaming money and I'm going to make some weird shit and that weird shit's going to be as weird as this movie, then I'm on board. And I don't know why anyone wouldn't be on board with that on like a really deep level. I, I, I also agree with you though. I get why some people didn't like it. Um, some of the, some of the narrative around it is crazy to me. Like I, I, you know, I'm not going to bring up again, but on Twitter, I mentioned how there are people out here like bemoaning the idea that maybe he ripped off basket case, you know, <laughs> give me a whole studio of basket cake, basket case ripoffs and I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. You know what I mean? Like I'm okay with that. I'm okay with us borrowing from the sources that I don't think get borrowed from enough, but let's put that aside. There are people who are hating the movie because other people are sort of surprised by it. Uh, that people who aren't aware that shit like this exists in horror. That if you compare this to other movies that we've reviewed on this very podcast, it's not the weirdest movie ever, you know. But there are people who their entrance to horror is James Wan. He's their way in. He's their fucking gateway drug, right? And then they saw this movie and went, "This is the craziest shit I ever done seen." And so I keep seeing people on the internet be like, "Well, it's not though." Like, yeah, yeah, let's compare it to music, right? If you don't know punk and hardcore, right, and you hear a band, let's say a band that's extremely derivative of something beforehand, but that's the first band you heard, it's going to mean something to you. And eventually someone might say, oh, that's actually borrowing from, you know, Leeway or Infest or whatever band it is that it's cribbing from. That doesn't, A, it doesn't make that band bad. And B, you shouldn't feel shame about that. There are a bunch of people who like, the Conjuring was their first fucking horror movie or Insidious was their first fucking horror movie or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? And so if James Wan or I mean, I've seen people freaking out about the movie who like don't even watch that much horror. But someone said you should check this one out and it blew their mind how crazy it got. Good. Good for them. You know, good for yeah. them. Now, if you're saying a critic is getting paid money to say that this movie's completely original okay you can get mad at that one person because you're like your your job is to know better than that okay but if fans are just freaking out that it's the craziest shit that they happen to have seen cool good like i don't what where's the downside like i i just don't understand the vitriol the horror community gets it's like um I mean, I get why certain James Wan fans hate the movie because they just want him to keep making The Conjuring. Like, yeah, but whatever. That's you know that happens. But the but the you know quote unquote you know true cult or whatever you know the fucking uh, you know Hessian level horror fans out here who hate the idea that James Wan may might have made an interesting movie and they just want to hate on everyone who likes the movie. Like get over it, you know, which does again, that doesn't mean you have to like this movie. There's a lot not to like about the movie. It's not amazing or anything, but, uh, but th there's a sort of meta criticism where people are like, I can't believe people are saying this movie's original. 
okay, well, those people just don't know what you know. Who cares? Why does that matter? I, and I even, just, even if they do know, who gives a fuck? Yeah. You know, it's it's like, it's an opinion. It's not like, you know, it, it's not like we're saying like, eh, Hitler had a couple good ideas. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's like, no, it's, it's a fucking, it's an opinion on a movie. Like, stop acting like we took a shit on fucking, like, I don't know, the Bible or the flag or something. It's just... You know, you, like you, I, you would be if you read through some of the replies I got on Twitter when I posted that that thing about it. You would there's a couple that would have made you so mad. People get real mad at me. So I, for those people who don't follow me on Twitter, all I said was I wish more movies would crib off a basket case. That was my entire insight. Is like if if what we're saying is malignant took from basket case, which is like I I agree it's not even the the that that obvious of a connection. But if it did. What's the problem there? I like basket case. I want more people to, to borrow from basket case. The level of like meta dickheadedness that some people got with me, like so mad. And I'm like, all right, if you, you know, like, like, like because they dunked on me on Twitter that like James Wan was going to see that and quit directing movies or something. Yeah. It was crazy. It was some it, crazy shit. Like on, on, there's a few like uh, Facebook groups I belong to and there's always like, <sighs> There's always these fucking jerk offs where someone will post like, "What's the worst horror movie horror movie you've ever seen?" And inevitably, someone will be like, "Get Out," "Hereditary," "The Witch," "It Follows," and a not insubstantial amount of people were like malignant. And it was like, I shouldn't have let it. Con- I, I shouldn't have let it consume me. But I went to like a bunch. Of, like I've replied to a bunch of those people. Like, you're gonna fucking you. You could look me in the eye right now. And say that *Malignant* is the worst horror movie, you've, horror movie you've ever seen. Like, have you seen like *John Carpenter's The Thing* and *Malignant*? And that's it. And those are the two choices. Like, the like I I don't understand this. Like, it's because we haven't our 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 campaign to get more people to watch *Inseminoid* has not gone over. Yeah, that's <laughs> a. Yeah, I mean, us screaming about *Creepazoid* and fucking *Inseminoid*. You know, people don't know how good they have it. People don't know how good they have it. They've had it. All right. I'm going to keep going here that we, I, I, I don't think either one of us think, uh, malignant is reinventing the wheel, but, uh, but I liked it. I thought it was, yeah, it was good. fun. Yeah. It scared. It scared me at times. That's all I want. Yeah. And, and I just want to go on record and say only time I've actually enjoyed a depiction, if not the actual original version of where is my mind in a movie. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I feel on that. Uh, I want to bring something else up. Uh, I watched uh, the Marvel Zombies episode of What If, which I think counts as horror. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, for those of you who don't know, What If is a uh, you know a Marvel show where, much like the comic book of the same name, we're sort of introduced to like um, worlds where things went differently than what we know. Uh, it's not quite as deep of cuts as the comic book because it's all based within the MCU and there's just not as much stuff has happened in the MCU. So they, they can't get into some of the depths they could in the comic book, but they, they've all, I think been pretty interesting. And this Marvel zombies one was, uh, was pretty good. It had some, some real, uh, fucking terrifying moments, honestly. Like, you know, I just think it, it really nailed the vibe of what it was trying to do. And I, I kind of like that. It went for more of a, zombie film vibe as opposed to the comic which got a little goofy at times but but i like that about the comic but i think this was a different thing the one thing i really liked about it um 
was like, as much as I love Robert Kirkman as a comic book writer, the thing that I don't like about Marvel Zombies is that at time the, the the comic book Marvel Zombies is that at times it feels a little too Garth Ennisy. If that you know what I mean, like yeah, yeah, it it gets a little like. All right, you're just doing that to be like crazy and wacky and like um there's not like it's fine. Like I I I like the idea of the the, the Marvel's the Marvel Zombies comic book. I actually like as like a multiverse tale. Like I like the fact it was introduced by like the plague was started by I think it was Century from uh, that's yeah, not important. I forget, yeah. Some 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 other some infected Marvel superhero coming from another universe. Um but the thing that I like about this one that they kept from that is like the slight alteration of when, I guess, spoiler alert, um, they find out that Vision is keeping T'Challa alive and feeding him piece by piece to the Scarlet Witch. Where in the comic, I think it's like, who, I think it's Hank Pym is keeping yeah. T'Challa alive and he's feeding him to, to Janet Pym or Janet Van Dyne. I don't know. Well, it, the, well, the difference in the comic is that the zombies are intelligent. So they, they only for what are you doing right now? I move my, I just moved my mic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the, in the original comic book, the zombies, if they eat, and they haven't been overtaken by the hunger, they're intelligent. So eating T'Challa is a way, not just for Hank Pym, but for the Wasp as well, to regain their uh, insight so that they can work on a cure because they're convinced that they can cure themselves, you know, especially Hank Pym. Um, whereas in this uh, in this what-if version, the zombies are not intelligent. If they eat, they still stay zombies. They don't, which in the comic book was played for much amusement because then uh, we we had a, a Peter Parker who kept breaking down about uh, having eaten at Aunt May. And, <laughs> and that, that, that part was pretty funny. The Hulk thing was kind of funny too because he would revert back to Bruce Banner and then it would be gr gross. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, I, I think, I, I think there was a lot of really cool ideas in here. Like the, the idea of this plague just originating in the, in the microverse, I thought was just like really weird yeah, yeah. and like vaguely Lovecraftian in a way. Uh, and then like the shot when um, I think it's Sharon Carter is like, when zombie Hawkeye like shoots the arrow, she's like pinned up against the wall and he's getting like close or, and then happy Hogan is going to like closer and closer. Like that was genuinely, a, that was like, that was like well done. Like I was like, I agree. Oh, fuck like that. That was, that was effective. Um, and then just like, I don't know, like there, there was just something about it. That was, there were, t there were moments when I was like, okay, this is like, this is legit, like unsettling to watch. Uh, and then, like, I don't know if it was just because he's dead, but the whole thing of, like, when, when like, T'Challa says, like, in my culture, we believe death is not the end. Like, that that really got me. <laughs> like, that was, like, that, that, like, hit a chord in me. And I, I I think it's just because, you know, Chadwick Boseman is, you know, no longer with us. But I thought that was, like, a really nice, effective moment. And uh -huh. then it was immediately undercut by Paul Rudd being like, yeah, but guys, like, it's not just you two. Like, I'm still here. You know, and it was like, oh, I forgot that. It's just, like, it was a good balance of, like, terror and comedy and actual like heartfelt moments 
Well, and also zombie Thanos is just a crazy yeah, and then, idea. Yeah. Well, you know, they couldn't they couldn't have fucking Galactus arrive and get eaten, so Love that part in the comic. Anyway, yeah, I, I just wanted to mention as a horror thing, and it also gave me a break before I moved to my next thing, which is I watched a little movie that people have been talking about, a small film called Candyman. You saw Candyman. I did. I saw the I saw the Candyman. The the Candyman. <laughs> what did you think of Candyman? Um I think uh overall I really, really liked it. Um, I feel as if I I have one or two things that like, I didn't love, but like, I want to start off with, I think it's beautiful. It's unbelievably, uh, shot film just looks amazing. Um, some of the performances are unbelievable, just next level stuff. Just like, I don't know. I just felt like, uh, the, the, the acting was really great. Um, I will say, and and this comes only from the impact that the original has on me, even still. But especially when I first saw it, uh, this is not a very scary movie to me, and I I don't know that that makes it. I don't know that that's a negative thing per se. It just feels kind of negative to me because the original Candyman like fucked my shit up in like a very direct way, and I didn't feel that with this film. Kind of at all, really. Um, which isn't to say there isn't like anxiety um, uh, and a, and some dread, but not quite at the level that that first movie sort of gets under my skin. Um, I really like, well, I don't want to spoil anything. There are aspects to the end that I think are great. Um, but I also wonder if they entirely work and I, I'm only going to get there on multiple viewings, you know what I mean? Yeah. I need to see it a few more times if I decide if I think it all works uh, in the way that they want it to. Uh, I also think the plot device of retelling the story again to sort of add different layers to it, it, it got a little tired for me towards the end. Like I, I kind of felt like it got a little bit repetitive. At first I was into it because I'm like, oh, it's like we're slowly peeling back the onion. But by the end I was like, are we done peeling the onion? Like it's just been a lot of <laughs> onion peeling at this point. And I, I just wanted there to be less of the retelling of the story than what we got. Uh, that being said, I think overall it's great. Um, I, you know, I, I always can't help but read what other people are thinking. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that this film is like, I'm not interested in people who are like, it's too woke. Cause those people are clearly fucking just, just, uh, fucking resentful white people. I'm not interested in that. I'm not going to spill any more venom over those people. Cause they've yeah, done enough of it in the past month. It's done. It's done. I'm no, I don't care. But there are people who are maybe judging it for not in their mind being as progressive as the original. And I think that's unfair. I think that those folks have a, not quite accurate memory of the original or not. If I, I think the original is great. It's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. I think if we actually want to hold it up as like a text of critical race theory, we are not reading the movie properly. I think there's a lot of complicated stuff in that film that is not exactly, I think the message that, that we want to, to if if we were going to take it that way which is of course why we shouldn't take it that way it should just take it as a 
creepy horror movie in which race is part of the narrative, but it's, it's not, my man didn't write a PhD on the, the complicated nature of uh, white supremacy. Like that's not really what that movie is. No. And and then I think people are saying, well, this movie is not as insightful as the original Candyman, And I don't think that that's true. I'm not convinced it all works. I don't know if how the movie ends. And again, it's only because the movie's so new that I'm kind of soft towing this because I think it's too new for us to get too much into like the not just the ending, but the denouement and all that. I, yeah. I, I don't want to like mess with any of that yet. But I think in the future, we might circle back to this movie and actually do an episode on it and talk about if the changes made work in the way that I think they hope they do. Like, I don't know that they all do or not, but I, I think I'll only know that from watching it, you know, as many times as I've watched Candyman, which is a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, we actually did an episode on Candyman where we talk about how the film it has might have good intentions when it comes to approaching race, but it has a lot of uh, almost cringy moments in retrospect. You can, I forget, it's we did it a while back. Yeah. Um, two things I want to say about that movie. One, I'll talk about it aesthetically. And two, I'll talk about like a sort of, uh, something the film is saying, uh, thematically. I loved how the movie made, uh, I forget the character's name, Sherman something or other. Yeah. That character's entrance in the beginning is presented in such a fucking terrifying way. And he, that character's entrance is so scary. Yeah. It really freaked me out. And this is a testament to the actor and his testament to DaCosta's filmmaking. That character was so creepy until they heard the cops coming. And then there's that moment. The look of fear on that guy's face was so goddamn heartbreaking that it went from being like, Oh shit, this dude is like legit scary to oh, this guy is fucked and it is this is not good. And I I don't there it was just that that scene really really it spoke to me. And it 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 got to me and that was the thing. I think that was one of the moments that I like walked out of the theater thinking about the most was like that poor motherfucker is because like we see in the original, we see Tony Todd, you know, the bees and the thing and his hand gets cut off and it's, you know, it's very dramatic and it's very, you know, it's, you've seen Candyman. It's, it's, it's amazing. This was played so skillfully that as a white guy, I can't speak to the fear that black men have when they get pulled over by the cops. But I think the filmmaking was skillful enough that it conveyed the sense of absolute fucking terror. That's yeah. someone must feel in a situation yeah. like that. Like it really, it, ugh, I don't know. Like it, it just, it did it for me. Like I was like, okay, that is, I'm seeing this as a human being, seeing another human being in the grips of absolute terror. And that is, that is, that is art making emotion contagious and I am, it's infected me. Um, and then I just, you know, the end credits I thought were like, Jesus Christ, like God, so yes, gorgeous. Yes. Um, one thing I, I, I haven't seen a lot of people talking about in this movie is the original film could be seen as a critique of, uh, I guess class in that we have a white well-to-do woman 
quote unquote exploring, quote unquote discovering um, Cabrini Green as like a foreign territory. Uh, there's almost this, this this sort of like Kipling esque attitude of like parental or paternal like whiteness towards it's the people. It's all the in- worst aspects of anthropology. Yes, yes, but it's not. It's 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 either accidentally brought up or it's so quietly brought up that you have to really read deep between the lines to see it. What I like in this movie is one of the characters calls out the the, the main character and his partner when they're like they're they're talking about Cabrini Green being leveled and um gentrification and uh the character's brother is like yeah but you guys live here like you're the ones benefiting from it like don't think you're above you know what i mean like it, it it's like i i like the fact that it it, it injected just a touch of like <coughs> classism and like class theory into a movie that was like largely about race because like like a lot of the there was a few times where you know there was the one art critic who kept talking about like you people and you know it was like are she talking about like people of color or is she talking about like artists and it's like it's kind of like you know it goes back it's it's like ambiguous um but i i really liked how there was the scene where these characters are critiquing how they like oh they destroyed cabrini green and they built these like soulless high rises and the girl's brother's just like, yeah, but you guys live here. Like, you're talking like you don't, like you're not benefiting from it and you're not, like, fueling it. I just thought that was, a, you know, a nice touch to the uh, to the commentary that the film was presenting. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right, that's it for me. What about you, Justin? Uh, I don't know if this counts as horror, um, but I started watching Why the Last Man on Hulu. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, I never read the comic, so I'm going into it blind. But I'm like two episodes in and I like it so far. It's pretty scary. Um, there's a scene where a dog dies in the first episode and it's fucking terrifying. I don't like that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have I have Y chromosomes, I think. So I will be fucked. And I, I the, the, the dead are the lucky ones, Liam. The dead are the lucky ones in that case. So I don't know if it counts as horror. Okay, I, I'm a big fan of the comic, so I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, there's a monkey in it too. I like the monkey. Yeah, I uh, I haven't gotten to it yet. I've been too distracted by the new season of Sex Education. But when mm. I'm done that, we'll switch to Why the Last Man. Yeah, it's worth it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we come back. We're going to talk about 1973's Torso, i.e., e copi presento tracchi di valenza canale. Or the bodies bear traces of carnal violence, which is the most giallo title of all time. No, 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 it's not. You're okay. If you say your vice is the locked room and only only I have the key, which is also a pretty giallo title. It's literally the movie he made before this movie. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm just <laughs> that's where I was getting. God damn it. <laughs> all right. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Now from Cabo Ponte. The man who brought you War and Peace and Dr. Zhivago comes a totally new motion picture experience. A journey into the bizarre, terrifying world of the psychosexual mind. Oh, 
whistle. It saturates the screen with terror. I've called you here today for a good reason. What do you have here? A fragments of cloth. Is one of these students a psychosexual killer? murdered just one week ago. Or are they just playing erotic games? Not so innocent erotic games. Eager to test the limits of pleasure. A killer is stalking. Well, that's a real good start. Why do all hang-ups come my way? Honey, even if you're queer or empty, you're paying the price I charge just the same. <laughs> A psychosexual killer is stalking. Son of a bitch! What's happened? That guy was spying on us. Sean, what do we care if he was? Come back, Sean. A killer who takes his pleasure differently. <laughs> Torso, it saturates the screen with terror. So, a gripping motion picture about a killer's perverted hunger aroused to an animal frenzy. It saturates the screen with terror. And we are back to talk about the body's bare traces of carnal violence, i.e. torso. Directed by Sergio Martino. Um, this film was released in 1973 and it predates uh, Suspiria by five, four years. When did Deep Red come out? I don't know. I mean, it definitely doesn't predate a uh, bird with crystal plumage. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't predate uh, a lot of the Argento stuff. But, um, I think this movie really. I had never seen this movie before watching it for this episode. And I want to say when I was watching this movie, and I say this in the best possible, I say this in the best way possible. Like I'm not riffing on this movie. I'm saying it like I really liked it because of this. While I was watching this movie, this felt like an earnest spoof of what I think of when I think of Giallo films. That's so interesting. Tell me, tell me about that. Why do you feel that way? Um, well, for one, there's like, you know, there's all these like a, a lot of the shots of like the camera work was like very voyeuristic, 
where it would be like there'd be these tracking shots and like objects would pass. I don't know the technical. Is it eye line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would like pass in front of the eye line. Um, I don't think there was a steady cam used in a lot of shots, so it kind of had that like, you know. I, again, I'm not like a, a cinematographer, but it's like the shit that makes. It's the fucking it's the shit that makes the Mulholland Drive diner scene so fucking creepy is because the, the camera is like not steady. And you're like, if you feel like you're actually watching the, the scene play out in real life. Um, so I, I, I like that aspect of it. I like the fucking killer aspect of it. Um, there was something that was like. The idea of this, this, this like mansion being up on a hill above a village. Yeah, yeah. There was just something that wasn't quite like it reminded me of a movie that I'm not sure actually exists and I couldn't quite place what it reminded me of. Um, but it had almost like a gothic aspect to it, like of someone like locked in a in like a like a chamber like that was a close but not close at all, like like an Edgar Allan Poe story almost. I thought that was like uh, super fucking cool. And then um the fact that this woman was in this house with this this with this killer, just avoiding him, and then at the end, not the end, but like, well, close to the end, like that shit where she knocks the key out of the, the keyhole. Oh yes. And then he played like that happened, and I was like, oh fuck, that was, like that was cool just to like fuck with her. And it was like, oh, so he just knew she was in the house the whole time, and he was just like messing with her. Um. And then, like, the thing with the uh, the fucking the handkerchiefs, like the different colored handkerchiefs, like that's such. I don't. I, I, again, I I can't tell you which movie it is exactly, but that feels like such a classic giallo archetype. Like, oh, they're 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 handkerchiefs, or what do they call them? They're um, uh, scarves. Their scarves are the reverse colors. You would know that theirs is black upon red, whilst mine is red upon black. Like that's such a, like that's such a. Oh yeah, no, of course, of course that 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 that's like a fucking trademark or whatever, like a focal point in this movie. It's like a, like Othello with the fucking handkerchief of the strawberries. Um, no, it just I just I I I just I really like this movie. Like there was just, I mean, straight up, I I thought about starting off the episode apologizing for this episode. Why? Because as much as I love it. It feels unfair to combine pieces with this movie. Like, I feel like we were what it you know what this feels like to me is like, uh, yeah, we're going to do we're going to do like, I don't know, like uh, 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 rain and blood. We're going to review rain and blood and we're going to compare rain and blood to uh, like fucking the E-Town Concrete demo. You know, like I, I, I enjoy both those things, but it's not a fair comparison. No. To, to me, Torso is a fucking masterpiece. It is not. And what's crazy about Torso is I don't even think it's as good as some of his other movies. But that's just so like uh, for people who don't know, Sergio Martino was kind of like a like a workhorse kind of director, like in Italy. Like we've talked about this before and I've talked about it on my other podcast, too. But Italy had trends, right? 
So it had times where everyone was basically making the same kind of movie because one movie had made money. And so you just ride that trend until the winds kind of shift. And that was Sergio Martino's career, right? That he followed different trends. Some he sort of pioneered, you know, you could really argue that his original, uh, cannibal movie was like kind of early on in that sort of cycle of movies. And know? that would be, that would be, would that be mountain of the cannibal God? Yes. Which I will be watching tonight on to be. Uh-huh. Uh, and then didn't we, I thought, did we talk about Island of the Fishmen on here? Yeah. That was screamers. Yeah. 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 So like, we're well aware we have a little bit of uh, knowledge of his stuff and there's some things he did later that people were familiar with. Like 2019 after the fall of New York is part of that whole uh, end of the world cycle. But the cycle that I think he rode and really made his own was a giallo. So giallos were a thing for a while. I, I'm not assuming many of our listeners don't know what giallos are, but gialli are. But for those of you who might not be that familiar, uh, that that kind of movie existed before the uh, bird with crystal plumage, but after that movie made all the money in the world, basically like it made all <laughs> the money in Italy that they were like, I guess we need to make more of these. And Martino kind of rode that wave starting in 1971 with the strange vice of Mrs. Ward, uh, which is unbelievable. If you haven't got a chance to see it, then he did the case of the scorpion's tail, which is a little less, it's a little outside the genre and it was not his, it wasn't a script that he worked on, whatever, whatever. But then after that in 1972, he did all the colors of the dark, which mm-hmm. is like his third giallo. And it's already messing with the form because Gialli don't have a uh, cult satanic cult subplots. And this movie does, it combines a very popular genre, the satanic cult movie with Gialli and really makes it work. And then of course, one we we mentioned before that sort of ends this cycle for him is your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. And funny enough, you brought up Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Justin, because it's based off a Poe story. It's the the black cat and it references the black oh, cat. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not it's not directly based off of it, but yeah, it's influenced yeah. by the black cat. Uh but really, Torso, like, ends this cycle. Torso's, like, his goodbye to the genre. So you saying, like, oh, it feels like he's almost mocking it. In some ways, I wonder if he kind of is, or maybe not caricaturing it, but sort of, like, he's done with this. This is not, I mean, he returns to it in the 80s. Later in his career, like a lot of these Italian directors, it was he wasn't getting the same sort of opportunities. So he tries to go back and redo like a new Gialli in the eighties and it, it doesn't go well. Um, and honestly, very few directors were able to return to Gialli and make it work. Like you could really argue like, uh, uh, Argento's Tenebrae is maybe the only successful, like, yeah, didn't, didn't Fulci try to get back? Yeah. A, a lot of these directors did yeah. like, Hey guys, remember when I did this kind of movie and it, it just didn't work very well. Uh, but, but these, this series of movies I think are very important for the genre and his are, are uh, are more um, uh, what you would call F cycle. So Gialli kind of break into two categories, whether there's a male protagonist or a female protagonist. And you can kind of argue that a lot of Gialli are, have a male protagonist because it's about the male anxiety around um, a feminizing world. You know, it's like with women entering the workplace and men losing authority, the films kind of play off the psycho insecurity of men, you know, sort of their psychological falling apart as they don't really understand the world around them. Whereas his films were more female focused uh, and less about 
a male protagonist, you know? Uh, and, 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 and sometimes had themes that would be familiar to people who are familiar with like the psychotic women movies, you know, like, uh, your vices lock room and only have the key very much feels like a, like a house of psychotic women sort of movie, you know? Um, but anyways, torso, I think it's so different with all of these characters. Uh, I honestly think like leading up to the big, sort of climax of the film, it's pretty good. And it it is the most similar to Jolly, right? But then when she fucking wakes up and the whole house is dead, we're in a whole other goddamn category Yo, of movie. That, it's that scene, I again there there are a few times where I'm like, man, I wish I could have been in the like the audience opening night seeing this movie. Right. You know, like yes. I think that about like I wish I could have seen Godzilla in Tokyo on opening night or Gojira. And just seeing how people lost their fucking minds when they saw that movie. Can you imagine being in the theater in 1973 when he starts cutting the bodies up with a fucking hacksaw? Oh, my God. Like, that is, that was some shit where I was like, oh, my, like, and this this predates fucking Dawn of the Dead by five, oh. six years. It, it predates everything that feels like it. In fact, when people talk about Torso, they often throw it in with slack. Oh, it's just another Italian slasher. Like, eh, no, it's it's. There were, it can't be just another, it's, it, you know, it's like when people talk about like psychedelic rock bands are like, oh, it's a metal band. There was no fucking metal. Like, I'm not saying it doesn't lead to that. Like, it's clearly the DNA of slasher movies, but like, it's a, it's its own fucking thing that like helped birth some of these other films. You know what I mean? It, it really has the, some really, I think, interesting aspects. And even like the idea of like, having an audience who you are teasing that these women are going to die. You're teasing it and you're teasing it and you're teasing it. And then you deny them this sort of basic satisfaction that they're looking for in this kind of movie. Oh, you thought we were going to kill each of these ladies in a dramatic way. No, they're all dead now. And the only tension that's left is, is this woman going to get out of here alive? Yeah. But like it manages that could be silly or it could be goofy. It manages to maintain this tension in such a way that I just think is like, again, I, I, I'm not saying he's some sort of master artiste. You know, he, he very much was like a, not for work for hire, but very much like a, like a kind of standard director in a lot of ways. But I think in all five of these movies, yeah, five, uh, something else is going on. That's just really interesting. And to be fair, we liked, you know, screamers too. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm wondering if there's other movies sort of in his, uh, collection, I guess you could say, or in his history, his filmography, that would be interesting too. I don't know, but these five movies are, each of them is very interesting for what they are. You know, I guess the Scorpion tail movie is not my favorite of the five, but, uh, I just think torso is just doing so much interesting stuff and really sort of surprises me the first time, the first time I watched it, I went in just being like, Oh, this is going to be a silly European horror movie, you know, slasher thing, whatever, GL thing, whatever, like not, not expecting to be surprised. And then there are so many moments in this film, especially towards the end that I just wasn't expecting, you know, it just sort of caught me off guard. Yeah. This was, uh, the scene where she wakes up and discovers her friends are dead. Um, that is, it's such a simple but super effective, uh, I don't want to say method, but I guess narrative is where, can you imagine going to bed because you broke your ankle, you're drugged, you go to sleep, you wake up, everyone in the house is, your friends are all fucking dead. 
you have no idea. You have no idea who did it. You have no idea when they're coming back. And then the guy fucking comes back and you have to like hide in the house and all that shit. It does such a great job of putting you in this, in this woman's shoes. And like I said, that's why it, it hit me at the end when she's hiding and she's sneaking around. And you're like, oh shit, she's doing all this stuff to like hide from this guy. And then at the very end, when she does this thing to try to, you're like, oh, she's being crafty with the key. And then you just see him pick the key up and put it on the newspaper. So tense. Holy so fucking fuck. tense. Holy fuck. It's um, unbelievable. And yeah, it's just, it, not it's, only that, it's one of the few films that does the red herring thing where oh, in yeah. a way that I thought was effective, you know, unlike when we're about to talk about pieces, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, Pieces clearly takes the red herring idea and is like, fuck it, who cares? We'll do whatever. Which is also which is also fun. Which yeah. is also a fun thing. But like, you know, pieces is well, we'll get to it. But this movie, when it's revealed that it's a professor, I wasn't surprised because he was the only one left, really. But yeah. in another way, I was still surprised because I'm like, wow, I really just wouldn't have thought that. But then when it's revealed, it kind of makes sense if you think about some of the stuff he was saying earlier on, you know? And, oh yeah. And uh, you know, uh, you know, j the idea that his violence is caused by this early traumatic sexual experience is much more common in slasher films. That's not really a Gialli thing that much, you know, but like slasher films, it's always like, you know, not always, but a lot of times like, Oh, something bad happened to me to connected to sex. And now I have to murder people like, <laughs> you know, here that is in 1972. That's great. I mean, it's it I guess it is kind of funny to combine it with pieces because in some ways pieces almost feels like a caricature of this movie in the sense of it you know he's making a a horny puzzle and now he has to murder women or something you know like the, the, there's a goofiness to it but I we'll get to that in a sec but this movie I, I think maybe because of the name torso just sounds like such a fucking brutal name a lot of the advertising just focuses on the fucking hacksaw i've always sort of talked about this movie as like a a grimy slasher which isn't to say a grimy slasher is a bad thing per se but i think this is like even more than that in a sense uh and 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 i i i hope people who maybe I, I I mean I'm sure most people who are big Giallo people have already given it a chance just be uh, based on Sergio Martino's name, uh, but if you haven't given it a chance, I just think you should. It's like I don't know. I just think it's really great. It's like uh, you know one of my favorites of this time period. Just to give you an idea of what this movie is like and how uh, deft it is at working. Working with the, the narrative it provides is imagine Halloween if we don't see any of Laurie Strode's friends get killed, but we watch her discover her friends' dead bodies as Michael Myers is like chasing her. That sounds like a dumb movie until you watch this and you're like, oh, no, that's actually terrifying. <laughs> well, and there is a good amount of killing before that. But well, yeah, but it, it's like the main like, honestly, like what I forget the, the one the one girl's name. Um they kind of set her up to be like the, cause the girl, like the final girl in this movie, I honestly didn't think she was going to be the one who was going to make it. Uh, the only reason I thought about it. Well, and I didn't know this the first time I saw it. So the first time, no, I was surprised watching it this time. It felt a little more obvious only cause she was in the bird with a crystal plumage. So I'm like, Oh, she's the most known actress in this. So I guess it makes sense that she's the final person. But when I first saw this, I hadn't seen Bird with Crystal Plumage yet, so I didn't yeah. know that about her. Yeah, I, I honestly, I honestly thought it was like there's the girl who's 
what is it like her uncle or whatever so the, you know tells them about this uh yeah yeah this villa that he has um and then like it, like the, the the red herrings in this movie like i honestly thought that the killer they talk about this guy i think his name is like ronaldo or ricardo or whatever like the one girl's like crush yeah i was like it's gonna be that guy like how the fuck is it not that guy like they they bring him up twice she's obsessed with him it has to be that guy and then like um when all these other creepy characters start showing up and they start getting killed i'm like well okay maybe it's still ricardo i don't know like and i think maybe this is it was one of the first movies that did that that you know had that 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 uh that 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 narrative device of like the red herring and the you know the who done it type thing um i typically like am kind of cynical with movies like this where i'm like ah oh, the killer's probably like the boyfriend from down the hall or whatever or like the best friend who blah 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 and like very few movies are like you know unless it's something like sleepaway camp style shocking i don't give a fuck but this time in this scenario i was like oh no that was actually that's actually that actually does make sense. Like it, it, it didn't feel cheap. It felt like fucking, it felt yeah, earned. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? And like you, would, it, you would think at the point where we're focusing in on the severed limbs, that the mysteries become not the point that like, we're just here for a gore fest. And then when it's revealed and he puts the pieces together for her of how it's him, you're like, Oh, that's actually pretty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get that. You know, like, that's, you know, you think, at least for me, I think at that point, it's like, I mean, who really cares? We're, we're just here for the for the gore. And instead, all that's tied up very sort of well. And 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 I think with a certain amount of wit, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, like that, the 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 guy who ends up being the hero, um, he was in my lineup of who it might be. I mean, I think that would have been a little obvious, like the 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 handsome gentleman like, yes, hello, I'm sharing a train car with you. <laughs> I'm a doctor I'm, I'm being gentle. Like that would have been a little too obvious, but like maybe it was so obvious that you wouldn't think you would see it coming. I well, don't know. a lot of these movies go for the obvious, right? Where you're just like, oh, of yeah. course it's that guy. So like it's not that, you know, it was a little, I mean, it was a little surprising to have him be the like handsome hero at the end. That's not what I was expecting for him. I thought at least he'd be a sex pest or something or something you know what I mean? a sex pest yeah is that a, is that a technical term yeah that's my technical term that's your t- <laughs> okay <laughs> uh yeah i don't know I, I the other thing i want to mention just because i think it's important for this director to note it is that uh this is a really beautiful film too like it's attractively yes. shot it uses the first setting is this you know historic sort of city in italy it looks unbelievable. Everything looks like people don't live there. There are all these places in Europe, but especially in Italy where you think like, you don't let people live there anymore, right? Like they're going to mess it up. Like people can't <laughs> live there. That that place needs to be behind a velvet rope because yeah. you can't just let people in. But that's how this whole movie looks like the room where they have their class looks like it's like, a I don't know, a fucking the Sistine Chapel. I don't fucking know. It all looks old and expensive. And that's how the whole film, it gives the whole film this other kind of vibe. Because it's like everywhere they go is either this like historic whatever, or it's like under an overpass where a peasant was going to shit. It's like the muddy woods. <laughs> yeah. 
it's like the muddy, gross woods. It's like the shittiest places on earth or this like beautiful city where you're like, no one can actually live there or they'd mess it up with their grime. It's like, the, the, those are the only two locations in the film. It, it gives the whole thing this otherworldly feel to me. Even the house yeah, that I mean, they end up at, you're like, no one lives in that house, right? What the fuck is going on in Europe right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it lends to it that sort of almost... um uh, like that weird, like when I say dreamy, I don't mean like, oh, surreal and like, you know, Lynchian style. I mean, dreamy as in like, um, oh fuck, what's it? Go oh, like the end of it follows how it takes place in that giant room with yeah, a pool. Yeah. And you're like, that can't be, that's not a real place. Like wh why would they build a giant room with a, that doesn't make any sense. But like, that's how this movie feels. It's like, there's all these like there's just these like strange, you know, gorgeous buildings where it's like, yeah, I mean that exists, but like, it's not, it's not like that's like a museum. It's not like a real place. It's, you know, yeah. Yeah. It just, it has and, and like, like I said before, how there's like the house is like overlooking this village. You're like, people don't actually live in that village. Like that's like medieval shit. They can't actually live there, but no, there are people fucking living there. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like we could talk about this movie some more. I want to make sure we have time to get into pieces, which to me, it's a less serious film, but I know it's like so well loved that I don't want to shortchange it. But suffice it to say, I've loved Torso for a while. This viewing didn't change anything for me. It's a great movie. And I'm just so you know, uh, uh, joyous to hear that you also enjoyed it. And, and maybe in the future we'll cover more Sergio Martino movies for the audience. Yeah. Awesome. I would love that. So we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about 1980, 1982 slasher film, uh, pieces, AKA the night has a thousand screams. Yeah. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be right back. We are back to talk about 1982's slasher slasher film, Mil Gritos Tien Le Noche, or The Night Has a Thousand Screams, or is you fucking peasant smooth brain pieces of shit know it? Pieces. Now, as Liam and I were just talking off mic before we let you guys back in on the conversation, before we were like, yeah, nerds, come back in and talk with the cool kids. This is the first time I've seen this film. I didn't know this was a double like of new films for you. That I think that's awesome. This is the only time I, I will have lost my virginity, Liam. I've lost my piece of virginity and my torso virginity. That's it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, here we go. Here's what I liked about this movie, which is tied in with what I don't like about this movie. This movie could have been truly great if there was no chainsaw. I mean, keep talking and I'll tell you what I think about that. 
Uh, I think the chainsaw was a cheap attempt to cash in on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it made the film almost laughable at times. Uh, there's a scene where the killer gets into an elevator with a woman and she doesn't, he, and he's carrying a fucking chainsaw and she's not immediately like, what the fuck are you doing with that chainsaw? Um, not that I, you know, whatever, I don't demand that my films, the films I consume have this like adherence to like, no, that can actually happen. Um, I just, that, that kind of was like, took me out of it. Like, why wouldn't you immediately like get any reasonable person would just be like, I'm going to, you know, remove myself from the situation as soon as fucking possible because you're a maniac with a chainsaw or at the very least you have a chainsaw. I don't trust you. Um, so I, I really think this movie could have benefited a lot from taking that out of the picture. Um, also the, the fucking weird thing at the end, the, the big reveal in the very last scene with the, 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 the body parts stapled together or whatever. Um, it didn't really do it for me. And then when it came to life, it did it even less for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like the fact that the actor who played uh, Beast Rabin from Dune was in it, being just as fucking creepy in this movie as he was in that. Uh, the scene where like he rolls up after the uh, after the one girl gets murdered, uh, I believe his name is uh, Willard. Yes. Um, when he's like the cops are trying to arrest him. And he's just like throwing them around. I was like, that's pretty cool. I don't know. I just <laughs> thought that was fucking, he's like throwing cops in a pool. Like he's like Andre the fucking giant or whatever. Yeah. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, but no, I just like, I get it. Why people love this movie. It is a fun movie, but I think just because of the fact that it comes so close to being like legitimately like really well done and really good just made me kind of be like, what the, f- why, why were these choices made for this film? I think, okay, so this is what I want to say. A lot of your criticisms are my criticisms, especially the chainsaw thing is so stupid. When he gets on the with uh, elevator with that chainsaw, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like any other weapon, he could hide it. But she sees that goddamn chainsaw. There's no way she doesn't see the chainsaw. Uh However, I think that's part of the ride. Like, I think people are on board for this movie to be in some ways silly while still also being serious. That, like, it's well done, but it has a bit of a silly spirit. So, like, again, if I'm making a music comparison, it's not good, clean fun, right? Like, good, clean fun is a joke. Top to bottom, whether you like the music or not, it's a joke. Yes. Pieces is not a joke. But much like, I don't know what a good comparison would be. Let's say Murphy's Law. It doesn't take itself seriously, but there are some real songs in there, I guess. You know, Um, I think Pieces is like it's not taking itself seriously per se. Uh, And and I think you can get that if, if you I don't know how many people know this director, but some of his movies, though, also ridiculous, take themselves more seriously. So, for example, Slugs, you know, it's not exactly a masterpiece. But but it takes itself more seriously than this movie in some ways. You know what I mean? Or even like uh, uh, Cthulhu Mansion. 
it's not like a serious movie, but it takes itself more seriously than pieces. Pieces, I feel like, sets the tone when my man chops up his mom over a nudie puzzle. That's the first sign that this movie is not in the realms of the real. This is not Henry portrait of a serial killer. No. This is like a fucking uh, off the wall, whatever. Uh, And so I want to defend some of the things that you're going after because the movie is this off the wall, whatever thing. However, I'm defending it in a somewhat academic sense. Cause while I do like this movie, I would, I would definitely own this movie uh, because I, 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 I've watched enough times to think like it's cool. Uh, it's not that cool. It's not in my top sort of, th- and, and, and I, I think I agree with you. Part of the reason is because it doesn't take itself so seriously. Part of what I think some people find effective, like, so for example, the worst red herring ever is our giant gardener friend. He's, he's so obviously the killer that, you know, he's not the killer. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, the big scary guy who hates everyone owns a chainsaw. He's probably not the one who's doing the care. You know what I mean? Like it's so on the nose and there's a lot of the movie that's like that as well as the things like the nerdiest guy in the movie is also a fucking sex machine who fucks everyone on campus. The, <laughs> the, the only police officer they could get to infiltrate the campus is like a hot tennis star. Yeah. Like what? You know, like there's just so many or the other the other professor that people like who just seems to be anxious all the time and also the students hit on him like that man looks like he should be just be playing sex offenders like that's he looks like the 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 worst weirdo and yet we're supposed to believe that all these students are like you know if i got with professor so and so like that would be amazing like what are you talking about like there there's just a lot of the movie there's even the scene where the girl is swimming uh naked or or semi naked in the pool and the killer just sneaks into the room like she wouldn't notice him yeah it's there's a lot of moments like that that are just push and 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 they come across to me like this is kind of a cheap no budget sort of movie that's not really you know it's just being off the wall uh but i don't know if that's true maybe there was a sense of humor to it maybe they're trying to be funny as well as scary and there and there's some gross stuff you know when the when the girl gets killed in the in the locker room that is that is a fucking intense it's vicious. scene yeah, yeah yeah and there's a lot of vicious things like that and and you know for some people this movie just wouldn't work because they don't like you know another movie where a dude just chops up a bunch of ladies but it, you know i think for a lot of people this is one of their favorite slasher movies maybe because it is such a caricature even if it's an un intentional one of so much like slasher movie stuff. Um, but for me, it'll always be like a B leaguer, you know, it'll, it'll always be like a, a fun movie to put on, but not something that I would put in my, in my favorite films, even though I've seen it a number of times now, you know, it's, it's a good time. It's fun. I like the outfit that he wears, I guess is somewhat iconic. Uh, but, you know, just not just that the movie starts with a nudie puzzle, but then the way he works out his weird psychosexual trauma is that he pieces together a woman like a puzzle. None of it makes sense. It just doesn't no. feel like anyone's invested time into this script, even if I think they vested a lot of time into the gore and gooiness and other things that I appreciate about the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, it, 
it feels like they had an idea for like a like the the final scene, and they're like, how could we get there? Yeah. Even though we never, ex- it's never explained how the fucking body comes back to life. I don't think that's real. I think that's the sort of stinger that's not real. Like I think that's just a crazy way to end the movie. I don't think it's like a like a like a, a defensible idea. I will say that, that some of the moments that are truly hilarious when he drugs this woman, you know, because he's going to take her feet, which has a certain sort of weirdness to it in and of itself and then the cops come and she's so clearly like pointing like the curtains the curtains yeah like no one could fucking figure it out i love that shit man i was like god damn if this wasn't meant to be funny they really fucked up because this is a funny fucking scene (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i mean i don't know i i get why this movie is like is seen the way it is and how it's like, it's gotten the, like the legacy that it has. Cause it is just like trash from fucking wall to wall. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of neat imagery in here to the, I mean, but there, 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 I should, okay, let me rephrase that. There's enough neat imagery in here where it sort of frustrates me because there could have been like an actual coherent, um, stands on its own two feet, no pun intended, horror film. As the as opposed, like, whatever this is. I mean, I hear you. I just don't think that's what this is. You know, like, this is, this is, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, you know. No, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's not because it, it's, it's, it's not what I want it to be. It is, it is what it is. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my own, um, well, and you're also, I mean, we've talked about this before, but if there's any new listeners, you're not a big slasher guy anyway. This isn't even in your normal wheelhouse, and it's no. the most ridiculous version of what that could be. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, but I mean, it does approach something I do like, which is like the weird aesthetics of Giallo. It has some it has some trippy moments. I mean, I think it's pretty clear, and not that this guy directed a lot of movies, but he had some weird inclinations, some talent, some things going on. I don't know. I, I want to see more of his movies because some of the stuff I do really like. But uh but this I definitely think is like it's more of a screwball, we you know, you know, sort of over the top thing. Uh and so part of me wants to you know, celebrate that and say like that's cool. On the other hand, what you're pointing out of like, well, playing it straight would be better. If it, if it was more believable, it would be more enjoyable because it might be a good version of this. I, I'm inclined to agree with you, which doesn't mean I need all my horror movies to be serious. You know, I, there are plenty of silly. I mean, as, I, as we've documented, I love House so much. It is one of my favorite movies. And yet... Um, and yet I think this movie would be better if it was taken more seriously, if it was a more sincere effort to be the thing and less like, I don't know. Again, I say silly, but I think silly is not right, you know? Yeah, no, I got, I got you. <clears throat> um, it feels like a more extreme. I mean, I guess you could just say it's more exploitation, but I don't know. It, 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 it I think the, there are elements of goofiness that undercut the gritty moments of the film. Yeah, no, I got you. I, I, I could, I can absolutely see that. 
I will say, you know, if you do love slashers, I could see loving this movie. I think it very much plays into sort of the less acknowledged uh, things about slashers, which is like a deep conservatism. But I think in the movie being so horny, it kind of mocks that. Like, I, I think the film is well aware of the irony of saying, like, the slasher audience must see boobies. However, they must also then see those boobies punished. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is yeah, like, no. that's a theme of this these movies. As much as people love them, they are deeply conservative films, you know, whether they were intended to be or not. And I don't think a lot of times they were. They still play into this thing of like, you fuck, you die. And that's yeah, how that, it's going to be. There's that um, hack idea about like how Puritan horror films are like, oh, if you stay a virgin, you stay alive. But it's kind of the, the the truth is like, you know, if there's any bit of sexuality in these movies, and there are, it almost is always repaid with violence. And well, and what this movie does is the our final boy, which you could argue he's really that's who he is. It doesn't work for him, right? And in a way, this movie sort of is male focused that way. Our final boy gets to hang dong and apparently fuck all around the campus. Like the movie keeps reminding us he just slays in, in the paint. Like he's just getting it on. He might even get it on with this like fully adult cop woman if he got the chance in the movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we don't know. He, he's totally like a sex machine. He lives to the end. And a lot of these women who die, some of them are in some sense you know, doing things that are traditionally like punished, but a lot of times they're just sex objects for the audience. So if there's any implied sexuality before they die, it's a sexuality of the viewer, the viewer, the the male heterosexual viewer, let's be clear. Uh, And I guess, you know, the lesbian viewer, but you know, that, that, that the viewer who is sexualizing them is now in a sense leading into them being murdered. And I think there's something to that, you know? Yeah. It's literally the, these women that, that get killed. A lot of them, they're only, the only way they're sexual is that they're being perceived. Like right. they're like the one woman is swimming naked, but it's like, that's not really inherently sexual if she's by herself. Right. It's only when it, it's almost this weird, like Heisenbergian thing where it's like only when it becomes observed. Or is that Heisenberger? Schrodinger. I'm no, sorry. Yeah, Schrodinger. Yeah. Schrodinger. Yeah. When it be when when they become observed, it's like then they become sexualized. And it's like uh, they're again, I don't think that's the director or the filmmaker's intention, but they're it's not a far leap to to, you know, this film is saying that women are inherently sexual beings they're, 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 they're sexualized objects and that has to be punished. Meanwhile, like you said, this, uh, what's his name? Kimball or Kendall or whatever. He is actively, uh, celebrating his sexuality, the whole movie, fucking anything that's not nailed down. Um, and he, he, you know, he lived, I mean, granted he gets castrated in the end. So I don't know if there's, if that's saying something, but yeah, I mean, you could argue that that's the final revenge of all these poor women who've had to suffer. Is that like, we're going to grab, we're going to grab that dude's ding dong and make him pay the price. I yeah. don't know. But it, but it is like, it is interesting. Like even the, that the, the killer himself is, uh, you know, objectifying these women and, and literally making them into pieces. But again, the the trigger for that being a nudie puzzle is one of the corniest things of all time. But I, it has to be intentional. I just I I don't think 
the corny aspects. And, and, and I don't know how that would change people's perception of the film. I think some people seeing it as more intentional might enjoy the film less because they just want to believe it was made by some psychotic weirdo who just doesn't know that he's making this utterly strange and insane movie, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's true. I think, I think he is intentionally adding in this stuff. But again, I, I don't know. I think I might still prefer it if it was played a little more straight. As much as I think I, um, it's still a fun movie. Like if I'm at Harathon and the pieces comes on, I'm not going to dinner break. I'm, I'm watching pieces with a crowd. I think that would be a lot of fun. But it's not something I'm like putting on my top all-time list anytime soon. I got you. All right. Well, I think that's uh, I think that about does it for this episode. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Um, if you want to hear more episodes, head to cinepunks.com for more episodes of this podcast and several other great podcasts, including Liam's own Cinepunks and uh, Showtime with uh, Josh and Sharky, Sharky and Josh. I don't know. I can't keep track of this shit. Um, <laughs> a whole, whole bunch of things. Um, you can head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks to, you know, you can become a patron if you want. Uh, be sure to check out our sponsors at www.xlvacx and www.essexcoffeeroasters.com. Um, and until next time, don't forget that the guy who dies in Mulholland Drive from being spooked by a, by a dumpster monster was in Twister. Oh, yeah, right. I did forget that. Not anymore, you didn't. <laughs> All right. Okay, bye. Peace. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, Spongebob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!